I'm really glad that each one of you chose to come this morning. It's been quite the week, though. If you look back over this past week, no matter where you were or, or what you were involved with, um, the hurricanes, they continue to come up. People's lives are absolutely different. And, and there's so many different things that are, that are happening. Some of you had a hard week, lots of tears. Some of you, there's lots of joy that's going on. But you know what? For Bears fans, this is a great day. Because sometimes it doesn't go well after today. We're always hopeful. You know what I mean? And all of you Green Bay guys who are, you know, yeah, yeah, it just, it's just really hard to even, never mind. Let's get right into this. You know what? We, we've had many hands over this last week or two preparing for the launch of a new ministry. If you've noticed, we have a brand new webpage. We're so excited that we're able to serve, especially those who are guests, who are, are searching, are looking. We want to be able to serve them well, be able to get information out. Our lobby has a completely new look, and we're so grateful for all those who have, who have put the time in. But more than that, I went to the first Crosspoint barbecue last night. Oh, yeah. If you've never experienced this, it was quite a cultural thing, to be quite honest. First of all, I've never seen so much meat in my whole life. And I'm a vegetarian. Okay, I'm not a vegetarian. But it was unbelievable. And all there was was a bunch of guys and some meat, and we had some great times. It, it, was, it was good. But you know, I look forward to Sundays. Sundays is absolutely my favorite day. It's a day we get to come together as a community. And we get to pray, and we get to worship and sing and mostly, open up God's Word. We can, as a community, hear from God and understand what He wants us to do. You know, we're a bunch of families here, a bunch of individuals, a bunch of people who want to know, obey, and enjoy Christ so that we might be better prepared to be salt and light wherever God sends us. We just finished a crucial series, a critical series. If you hadn't listen to that series. I'd encourage you to find that on the web. Uh, but it's a series on the church. And we just really, or I just really talked about what the church is, the privileges we have, the opportunities we have, and, and hopefully it will be able to ignite us as we move forward. But before we jump into our text today, let's pray. Father, I just thank you again so much for the privilege of opening your word. We're going to start a new book today. We're going to jump into the Gospel of John. And, and Lord, I, I know how close you were with the Apostle John. And you loved him dearly. You hung out with him. You poured your life into his life. And he saw you a different way. I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes. I pray, Father, that as your word is taught, that it would absolutely transform us, that we would leave here different people because we have a different perspective of who you are. 
Lord, you walked with John. He saw you very differently right when he left his nets till when he finally opened his eyes in your presence. So, Father, we pray for that journey for ourselves. We pray, Lord, that we would not keep you in a box. We pray, Father, that, that you would be able to reveal something about yourself today. We do pray for the other churches up and down our street, Father, in the suburbs surrounding us, those in southern Wisconsin. We pray, dear God, that you would use those churches as their light and salt in their communities. We pray especially, though, Father, uh, for Chain of Lakes um, Community Church. They asked us this week to pray for them as they are expanding and they are opening up a new ministry. And we pray, dear God, that you would give them wisdom and that you would supply all that they need. We are grateful again, God, for you meeting us. In Jesus' name, amen. This week, we begin our study in the Gospel of John. So if some of you are slower or you're not exactly sure where it's at, you can open up your Bibles, you can uh, get those uh, flat screens going and uh, make your way to the Gospel of John. Let's first look at the Apostle, the context in which the Gospel was written, and then we're going to dig into the prologue. We're going to try to cover about 14 verses today. But you know what's been interesting? I've been asking a whole bunch of people this week to describe the Apostle John. You might just take a moment, and in your own head, who is John? What kind of temperament did he have? What did he actually look like? Now, again, we don't have answers to some of that, but the answers that I got from the majority of people, and I told them this was not a test. It wasn't. Oh, John is loving, and John is gentle, and John is a faithful friend. He's the opposite of Peter. He wasn't at all like Peter. He was someone who stayed in the background, I was told. It's kind, maybe a wise grandfather type. Well, you know what? If you looked at any of the medieval artwork, you would see that kind of John, okay? Um, I am really not drawn to this dude on that picture. I, I got to be honest with you. Um, I don't like how he's dressed. I don't like how he looks at the moment. And, and maybe this isn't how John looked, but, but this is how some of us kind of think, well, well, John was, you know, he, he just although he's one of the critical guys, I just don't think he was really a man's man, a leader of leaders. Well, I don't want to burst your bubble, but that definition probably wouldn't be how one would have described John, especially in his early years. John was part of the inner circle. There were three passionate leaders. They were all rugged, unrefined fishermen. John was one of the sons of thunder. 
He was the younger brother of James. And to be quite honest, he probably mirrored James' temperament. Remember, John was one of the guys that wanted to call fire down on the Samaritans because they weren't responding. He was in the thick of every argument and debate on who was the greatest. He was probably every bit as intolerant, ambitious, zealous, explosive, and selfish as James, his brother. He was aggressive, and he was competitive. Imagine that. Now, knowing this, John's transformation is remarkable. Because if you even see how John is described in this gospel, he also wrote the book of Revelation, and he also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And that apostle was so concerned about caring for others. He was a gentle man. All of the fire in his bones had been turned to caring for people. John probably ended up pastoring a church at Ephesus after being exiled to an island of Patmos because he was a God follower. So during the last few years of his life, John came back rather weak, rather frail, probably about 96 A.D. And he wrote the Gospel of John. Now this was about 60 years after Jesus was resurrected and taken back to heaven. The other Gospels were written a whole lot earlier. There are four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called Synoptic Gospels. And they follow a certain pattern. But the truth is, in three years, three years, Jesus changed this self-centered fanatic into a mature, loving man. From the son of thunder to the apostle of love. From a bigoted hothead to a loving, godly pastor. John learned the balance of ambition and humility. He learned the balance of suffering and glory. He was, if you remember, the only apostle at the crucifixion, at least that we know about. To me, at the end of his life, He's writing the memoirs, the book of John. Not that the other guys got it wrong. They didn't. But he has had about 60 years to think about it. You know, John personally, as an apostle, gives me hope. Because there's a whole lot of time that that I'm pretty brash and I'm pretty selfish And I'm pretty focused on what I want. And as I spend time with God, I know a person like that who might reflect John a little bit can be changed as we walk with God. Now, as I mentioned, the Gospel of John is unique among the Gospels. Um, 
It contains a larger percentage of discourses and completely ignores some critical areas. It was probably written, as I mentioned, after the emperor Domitian had this unbelievable, for those historians, kind of rant and rave against all of Christianity. He tried to kill it. After he died, John came back and pastored this church. Now, if you look at the gospel, it's very, very different. I think it's actually most complimentary, but it contains a larger percentage of discourses and completely ignores some of the other things that the gospels, the synoptic gospels have hit. It doesn't talk about Christ's birth, his baptism. There are no parables in this gospel. The transfiguration, which was a pretty big deal, is not even mentioned in the garden scenes. About 90% of John is not found in the synoptics. So this is a fresh look. It's a new perspective. And John is the only one that literally tells us what the purpose of the gospel is. And if you look at the end of the book, in John chapter 20, verse 31, this is what John writes. But these are written, this whole book, so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. To John, Jesus is God, the incarnate Messiah, Savior. The Gospel of John is both an apologetic and even an evangelistic tool. I think you're going to love this book. It's one of the very first books that are often handed to a brand new believer. And there's reasons for it. John wanted to make sure that we understood who Jesus was. Christ, our King, our Messiah, our Lord is. At the end of 60 years, right before he was about to die, he pens this gospel. It's kind of cool. If you've been with us for a while, you know that we've looked at 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Again, this is the second, well, one of Jesus' closest friends that we're looking at. And this is some of his last words. The things he wanted to pour out. The things he wanted to make sure that the church understood. He wanted more than anything that Jesus Christ would be lifted up. So let's open up to John chapter 1 and see what John has to say about the Messiah. I'm going to start off by reading the first two verses, and then make some comments. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. Now again, some of this is going to just blow your minds if it's the first time you've heard it. If it's the hundredth time you heard it, it may blow your mind. Because we don't understand this. 
I don't care if you have a background in philosophy or if you, uh, again, are one of the most brilliant people on this planet. How does something exist without a beginning? That's a tough one. But John starts off and says, hey, I'm going to paint a picture. There are six things I want you to know about my Savior, the Messiah. And, and this is the first thing. First of all, the word Christ has no beginning. He's always been here. That will blow you away. Think on that. God is eternal. The second thing he said is the word or Christ was with God. Now if you look at that, that actually is an odd way of saying things. But what I would like to kind of share with you that, that this phrase um, means far more than mere... Uh, this phrase goes a lot deeper than just talking about some casual relationship. It actually gives the picture of two personal beings facing one another and engaging in intelligent discourse. Now, we know, at least we believe the Bible teaches, that God is God. But there are also the Trinity. There's God the Father, there's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit. And as we begin to look at this, somehow John was trying to say, you know, there are times when God the Father and God the Son sit down and they literally converse. Then lastly, in this very first verse, the Word was God. Only four words, yet probably the clearest declaration of deity in the Scriptures. So the Word is eternal. And by the way, you're saying, well, Rick, how do we know even that the Word is Jesus? Well, in verse 16, and we're going to eventually get there, John makes it really clear who the Word is. So Jesus, the Word, well, He's eternal. He has communication with God, and He is God. Then verse 2 emphasizes, because again, He's wanting to make sure that we don't forget who Jesus is. That's the bottom line. It's going to change your life if you understand this Jesus. And so he says this. He goes, I want you to understand he has no beginning. He is with God, and he is God. Then he goes on in verse 3. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So John goes back and says this, the word of Christ is the creator. He is so powerful. By his very words, he brought all of what you see in existence. So Jesus is eternal, and Jesus has a relationship with his Father, an intimate one. Jesus is God himself, and Jesus is creator. Then he goes, the word is the life giver. 
you are going to care a lot about the life giver in this gospel. He is so excited that this man, Jesus, is the basis of all life. He wants to give us abundant life right now while we're here on this planet and desires deeply to spend eternity with us and give us eternal life. But the word Christ is the source of all life. Then the word or Christ's life brought light to everyone. You know what's amazing is that darkness never wins over light. You can go into a dark room, but all you need to do is bring a flashlight, a candle, or whatever, and all of a sudden, darkness dissipates. And the darker it is, the less light you and I actually need to see where we're going. But what John is is saying here is saying that when Jesus Christ was here, he invaded the darkness. And he gave us light. You see, John sees Jesus the Christ clearly. And it's actually quite an introduction to this gospel. It's the start of the gospel. And he just again wanted to make so sure. He goes, do you understand how amazing my friend, my Savior, the Messiah is? And I'm going to jump to verse 10 now. Uh, Literally next week we're going to talk a little bit about John the baptizer. And there's some verses in this this first part about that. But we're going to wait till next week. So let's go to verse 10. And let me read through verse 13. And he came into this very, excuse me, he came into the very world he created. But the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth, resulting in a, from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. John is clearly disturbed here. He is talking about Jesus, how amazing Jesus is, how much he how much we need to remember about Jesus. And then he says this, when Jesus came, he wasn't recognized. To John, this was crazy. Well, are you serious? He's the creator. He is God himself. He's the one that brings life. He's the one when you walk into the room, everything changes. But he came to this planet and he was not recognized. But more than that, he was rejected. People did not recognize him and rejected him. And it was so hard to understand. But in perfect John style, you will hear over and over again what God does for us. He says, but, but. In your Bibles, again, if you mark your Bibles, I would circle that word, but, because I think it's pretty important. To all who believe, to all who accept or receive him, they become his children. 
In Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes, it says that because God chose to adopt us as kids. Now, we weren't born into this family, but John says this, everybody who believes and receives, this is the good news. This is one of the first verses that you will learn if you're an Awana, in the Awana ministry, is John 1.12. Saying that, that, do you realize that Jesus came so that you might be a son or a daughter of God? He's going to adopt you. You're going to have all the benefits of being a son or a daughter in his family. You need to believe and trust him. We're going to hear later in probably the most well-known verse in all of the Bible is John 3.16. But he talks often about all that Christ did and that Christ died on the cross so that our debt might be paid so that we might be restored or have the opportunity to be adopted back into his family. How cool is that? So John is trying to describe Jesus. But more than that, he's discouraged that people are not responding to him. But given us hope, hey, anybody who receives God's grace understands his amazing gift you will have the privilege to become one of his kids. They will be reborn, born again, a birth that only comes from God. You're going to see this same picture as he talks to a religious man in John chapter 3. But he wants to proclaim very clearly, this man, Jesus, is different. He is the life giver. He is the one that will change your perspective and change your neighbors and change everyone around you. Jesus is amazing. And then in verse 14, literally, blows you away. He's enamored with who God is and his friend Jesus. But look at verse 14. So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. God became human and made His home or tented among us. I like the word actually tented or tabernacled among us because it, it gives us a little bit of a temporary flavor. But what God did is absolutely insane. It probably is the greatest statement about God's love in all of the scriptures. Remember, Jesus shows us what love actually is. He's not saying, I love you, and not showing it. Because words are cheap to all of us. We know that. But literally, he left his father. An unbelievable relationship. 
He left the heavenlies. He left where he was comfortable. He left paradise and chose to come in the most unusual way. A way that, well, kings normally wouldn't be born or messiahs in a trough with an unwed mom pledged to be married with the whole story. Hey, by the way, I'm going to go into this family and for all of their life, most people will think it's an illegitimate son. I'm going to leave all that. I'm going to do that. I am literally going to give up my life. I am not going to be comfortable. I'm going to live on the planet for about 30 years. Learning like everybody else learned. Spending time connecting with God, his Father. And then about the age 30, he's going to gather some disciples around. And there were times when great multitudes would be listening to every word. And Jesus, for the most part, would make what the kingdom was all about clear. That chased some people away. He did miracles. He broke into the kingdom of darkness. He knew again what to teach how to heal, what to say. He was God in the flesh. Again, almost impossible to understand how someone could be 100% flesh, human, and 100% God. There's a word called an antinomy. And I like using that term because an antinomy, as you look at the definition, is that there are two statements that seem contradictory, but both are true. So it's an antinomy that Jesus was fully God and fully man. This is what love is. He showed us what love is. He says, I love you. And I'm going to come to the planet. And I'm going to experience life. And I'm going to give up my life. Actually, that's what a servant is. Jesus told us that he came, well, not to get, but to serve. And that the greatest of all are those that give up your life and serve others and model that. Jesus showed us what faithfulness looked like. He was totally obedient, totally faithful to the plan, totally ready to do whatever God asked him to do, his dad. Jesus showed us what God looks like. You know who God is? God loves sinners and hates sin. That's how he lived his life. How do we do that? Well, we spend some time with Jesus. John said this, We have seen his glory and the glory of the Father's one and only Son. 
We've had the privilege, John said, of literally seeing this. And it's changed my life. Then look at verses 16 through 18. Again, we'll skip 15 because it's about John the Baptist. Verse 16. From his abundance we all have received one glorious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. The greatest blessing was Jesus. The law was not an instrument of grace. The law saved no one. It gives no hope. It merely points people to Jesus. But grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. That's where we get it. You know, John is trying his best to describe his friend, the Messiah. How do you tell a group of people 60 years after he's been raised from the dead? All kinds of churches all over the world have been formed. That Christ is fully God. I want you to remember this. This is critical. Christ is God's son. He's the second part of the Trinity. He's fully human. He's fully a son. In short, what John is saying, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. John MacArthur says this, John presents Jesus as the eternal word, Messiah and Son of God, who through his death and resurrection brings the gift of salvation to mankind. People respond by either accepting or rejecting the salvation that comes only through believing in him. If John were here today, he would love to be able to just tell you stories of Jesus. It changed his life. The way that Jesus responded to people, the way that Jesus forgave people, the way that Jesus reached into people's lives when they were hurting and discouraged and downtrodden. The words that Jesus used. He saw Jesus differently. And he was the only apostle that literally died of old age. Now, tradition says he was pretty weak at the end from that time on Patmos. But before he died, he wanted to make sure that we all knew about his Savior. So we're going to be looking at some stories, at some material that John is so excited about because he's so convinced of this, that if you see Jesus clearly, your life is going to change. If you meet Jesus the Messiah, you will have wisdom and strength and perspective. You'll get to know God because he is God. You'll get to know how God responds because he responds as God. 
you'll see what's important to him. And you'll see the way to life. You know, when you leave today, out in our lobby, there's something called the Life Book. And actually, we're going to be giving you different gifts throughout this message series. But the Life Book is really geared more for junior higher, senior hires. But what I like about the Life Book is that this is the Gospel of John in here. And it is literally made for you to be able to give away. It's not really made so you can keep it and, and you can read through it. But I think you should. Because what's so interesting about this is that there's a little bit of notes all the way through it, mostly by junior high and senior hires who are really, they don't have a filter. And, and you'll see as they read through this, they'll respond to different things that happen in the gospel. And actually, it's quite refreshing. I think it's encouraging. And maybe if God puts it on your heart, you take this, you look at it, you read through it, you might be able to give this away to somebody that you know. Maybe even go through it with them. But like I said, I think this book, the book of John, the gospel of John, is going to change some lives. I also think this, that you will enjoy the book a whole lot more if you begin reading. And so I want to encourage you to spend some time just in chapter 1. There's 21 chapters. But we're going to be in chapter 1 for a few weeks. And, and I would just love for you over these next few weeks to be able to, maybe every day, pick up the Gospel of John and read through it. See what God's telling you, teaching you, showing you. And I don't think you'll ever regret it. Let's pray. Father, I ask this, that you would give us a greater glimpse of who you are. For some reason, John was afraid. John had spent a lot of time being persecuted. He had been around a long time, seen many churches planted. He was considered an elder, an apostle. But near the end of his life, he must have seen people, well, getting hazy about who you are and what you do. He is so concerned, Father, that, that we would know who Jesus is. And I pray today that as we open up this book, that as we begin to forge ahead, that, that you would receive all honor and glory that we would understand how great of a privilege it is to be a son or a daughter of God and that you care so much about us. I pray, Father, that we don't listen to the culture's lies, to the enemy's lies, the lies that, well, Jesus is just part of a movement or Jesus is a religion or Jesus is... Oh, Father, it's so far from the truth. He is the life giver. He is the light. He is the one that makes sense out of it all. And if we could see him clearer and understand him better, not only our lives will change, but people all around us will be drawn to you. We love you, Lord. In your name, 
Amen.